are you okay? I am very relaxed after a yoga weekend. I've been pleasing myself and taking time out. It's something I'm much better at these days, just bloody doing it. And this episode of the Just Bloody Post-It podcast, for those of us marketing our work on the internet, is all about those boundaries. Welcome Elsie Owen. You'll find her as the people-pleasing therapist on Instagram. I am now thinking as I speak back to how I used to feel when I heard people say that, like, just do your own thing, be yourself on Instagram. And I used to sit there going, how? how? Like, what? How do I do that? And there is no one answer. That That is the, I guess, the tricky thing for all of us. By day, Elsie works as a therapist, one-to-one with clients to transform their lives, a job she describes as very special. And by night, just kidding, her online brand is focused on people-pleasing and how to stop doing it. She uses Instagram to share tips on how to say no, establish boundaries at work, or stop taking responsibility for other people's feelings. It's good stuff. Elsie is a talented communicator and disciplined about her social media. She's taken her account from zero to 14,000 plus followers in a year and a half. And now she's using that audience to grow her business by running courses. I'll pop some clickable details into the show notes if you'd like to know more. We're going to talk about how she's done it. It's been a joy to watch Elsie's account flourish and her content's helped me to understand that I've been people-pleasing my whole life. It's a bit wow. I started our chat by asking her to explain what people-pleasing behaviour feels like. Saying yes to things that you know you don't want to do that feeling of having having a little internal voice that says, oh, don't really want to do that. Don't really want to go to that party because I don't actually like being in groups. Or I don't want to say yes to that piece of work because actually my diary is completely full. Not feeling able to listen to that part of you and going along and saying yes anyway. And reaching a point of feeling well, not very nice, whether that's overstretched, whether that is stressed, whether that's anxious, reaching a place where you're not feeling good in your own life, purely because you didn't want to cause somebody else the trouble, the discomfort, the rejection of saying what was true for you. I think it's fair to say, especially as a woman, that you grow up, uh, you know, conditioned to make people feel comfortable, to make them feel happy, to make them feel warm, to make them feel like they've got what they want out of a situation. And I don't think it had occurred to me that there was an alternative to saying yes to things, even when you don't really want to do it, because somebody's asked you. So the nice thing to do or the good thing to do is to say yes, in order that they feel good in order that they continue to like you in order that they don't go away Uh, you know uh, there's an alternative that that's the revelation (laughs) I'm nodding I'm nodding a lot (laughs) we don't realize how much responsibility we take for all of those things that you just listed we almost absorb this feeling quite unconsciously that it is our job to make other people feel better and to ultimately kind of control how they feel. And I don't think we necessarily see it that way. We don't think that we're controlling people. But you you could say that the kind of people-pleasing pattern is a little bit like that. We are walking around assuming that it is our job to make sure everybody else has a really nice, easy, comfortable time. 
whether that's related to what we're doing with them or not, actually, sometimes it, it creeps in all, all over the place. I know it's 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 literal madness when you start <laughs> to is. understand and you understand what you know why you are becoming increasingly resentful or angry and grumpy yeah. and then maybe you take that out on people around you that that weren't even the ones that have asked you to go out of your comfort zone it's crackers the the resentment thing is is huge and I, I often say to people if you're starting to feel resentful towards others instead of blaming them or instead of using that as something to look at what they're doing turn it back on yourself and ask whether you're looking after yourself and and you know how much of that resentment are you kind of responsible for <laughs> which is a bit of an uncomfortable one it's not not yeah, nice but I like nice it's one full, to sit with it's almost like this idea of full responsibility like take full responsibility yeah. for saying yes to something that you didn't want to do and then you realize you have the power to maybe take a different path or make a different choice and yeah and I I love what you've said you know that you didn't realize that there was an alternative because that seems to be what happens with people is that as you start to realize that that actually there are people in the world that don't just say yes to everything which means that when we do start to kind of put a boundary in place or say no to something we don't want to do often not always often people don't respond in the hugely negative way that we thought they would, that we've kind of built that up in our minds to be something so much bigger than what it ends up being, particularly if those people are close to us and particularly if they have our best interests at heart, which which lots of people in our lives will. And if you're just telling the truth, quite often that works out. It get, and it gives yeah, other people you know. permission to yeah. do the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Does your understanding and special interest in this issue come from a place of personal experience Elsie are you a kind of recovering people pleaser yourself I think yes and no Mm. I think as a teenager I was a huge people pleaser late teens my early 20s I was in relationships that um, were very much on other people's terms didn't really serve me I was quite anxious and I, I went into therapy I was kind of lucky enough to have that accessible to me and I discovered some things there um, that that empowered me really to start to live. The only way I can describe it is more on my own terms. It was a very empowering experience and shaped me hugely. I have this, my own experience of it. I see it in my daily life in the way that you're describing. I don't think I have struggled with it to the extent that some people do, but I do have a heap of experience of working with other people through it. Uh, and I know it's something that you have picked up on as being a real common thread through your your offline conversations as well as your online ones. Yeah, yeah which, which is where this came from. So it's kind of combination of my own experience and my own story, really, of, of getting to a place where I feel more in control of my own life and just noticing it come through all of the client work that I was doing before Instagram was a thing for me, before the courses and things were. And I just really love helping people with it. I, I find it just like I said to you before, really special to get this insight into people's lives and to see them make change relatively quickly, actually, sometimes, and quite simply in in the way that you've described too. You have a business, Elsie, you have a job, you do therapy in the traditional sense, you know, behind closed doors. How and why and when did you decide to bring that onto Instagram? Lockdown. Mm, <laughs> the first changing, lockdown in the talk UK. about changing lives in all kinds of ways. 
Yeah, I had my business, my private practice, as we call it in the therapy world, going for about a year and had established and I had a good flow of clients coming through and things were going really well. Lockdown happened and I I guess I sort of just seized it as an opportunity to learn something, to learn how to do Instagram. Came about by fluke. I was in a therapist kind of networking call and somebody there mentioned to me that maybe Instagram might be a good place to, to look. And it sort of just happened from there. I hadn't done it before because I knew how much work it took. I have a slight background in marketing, digital marketing. I've done that for other businesses before. And I know that it is a slog. <laughs> it can be. The truth. It's a long game. <laughs> it is the truth. Although you're not making it look like it is so, but I know that, you know, it, I, with every guest I speak to, it is something that will take time. If yeah, you want, you know, if you want results of, of any kind of abs- meaningful. Absolutely. And and what I what I knew is that if I was going to do it, I wanted to do it really consciously and with intention and with energy. I think I kind of had this sense that if I wanted it to go to where I wanted it to get to, I needed to have the time and the space and the energy to put into it. And that's why it didn't happen until this kind of, yeah, expansive, I'm sure everybody agrees, very weird time emerged. And there was this space to explore. Um, I also think I got on there at quite a good time because everybody was on there. Yeah, I mean, it was it was transformative for my business in that sense of having this captive audience plus all of this time and attention that you could give because there was literally nothing else to do. So you went onto the platform with intention to grow an audience for your work, but you didn't start out as the people-pleasing therapist. You went through a few identities early on. Talk us through your evolution. (laughs) I think it is an evolution, isn't it? I think one thing that's really important to point out here, I, I feel, is that my intention was always to grow a second income stream. That's what I wanted to do. So I didn't go on there. Maybe at the beginning I did go on there. I, I was, I think, Elsie Owen therapist or therapy with Elsie or something like that initially. So maybe I did set myself up as a therapist initially. But over time, what emerged was that that wasn't really doing anything. <laughs> You can't do therapy on Instagram. Nobody responsible would do therapy via Instagram. And it's, uh, you know, I guess it's not a place where you, you know, you're signing on one-to-one clients on a regular basis. It kind of, you have to come at it in a different way. Did you, did you know that at the beginning? I learned that. Yeah, you learned that. I learned that. Yeah. Um, I think so. I, I'm friends with and connected to some therapists who do use it just to find one-to-one clients. And I, I do get one-to-one clients through there now. Um, but no, I didn't know it at the beginning. I just sort of turned up, posted one of those classic, hi, I'm Elsie, this is about me, a bit about me, and connected with loads of other therapists. And that was all that was happening, really. Paying attention to what content was landing with people in the small community that I had and getting a bit more clear on, I guess, like what what I wanted to do there. I, I also, part, part of what's been successful for me is absorbing lots of training and lots of workshops and lots of courses, as you know, because a lot of them were with you. And really honing in on the fact that like, it's really important that we niche this buzzword. It's a, it's a buzzword, isn't it? Niching. But being aware that like, I liked doing that work with people around boundary setting and around people pleasing though I didn't call it that then. And when I started to talk a bit about that on Instagram, people started to resonate with it. 
And it's like small numbers. My account was like, you know, three, four hundred people. I'm not saying it was it was big, but I just noticed a couple of posts would get saved if I talked about some boundaries people could set or comments would come through a little bit more than on others. And so that combined with what I was noticing in my client work, I think kind of formed this this identity for me, really. And, and at some point, actually talking to this other therapist who's on Instagram that I mentioned earlier, who I was in that networking call with, she just said, you, you, you know, go for it. <laughs> call yourself that. And it was, I still have mixed feelings about the idea of calling myself the people-pleasing therapist. But what it does do is tell people what I do. And I think that that was a really pivotal part of my growth was when when I was quite clearly defining what people could get from me. You're helping your follower, potential follower, client, customer out so much if you can just come up with something easy for them to get hold of, an easy way for them to identify you, to tell other people about what you do. And your feeling that it's not perfect, I think is really interesting because I know that you subscribe to the thinking that good enough is good enough. So if you yeah. can if you can come up with something that is just good enough, that that is a way into you, uh, you know, expressing all the things that you can express, helping in the ways that you can help. If that is just the hook, then that is good enough. It is. And the reason I feel slightly uncomfortable with calling myself the people-pleasing therapist is because I don't love the people-pleasing term. I don't love that as a label. I don't love labels generally. The way it's helpful here is that people call themselves people-pleasers. That is something that people resonate with before I've done any work on explaining to them what it is. So that in itself is helpful. And that was a phrase that I kind of had picked out of things people were telling me about their experience. So yeah, it's not perfect because it doesn't completely reflect my views. It does its job. And you can um, change it again in future. That's the beauty of it. I mean, if you can learn something from Elsie's experiences that you can grow, you can change, you can evolve. And I think that one of the reasons, or I know that probably the big reason you've been successful with your Instagram is because you've used it as a market research tool in order to learn about your audience. I think that we have to or I've had to treat it that way because nobody has done what I'm doing before. Nobody has done what you're doing before in exactly the way that you do it. And and that's the same for all of us, isn't it? So applying like any kind of externalized uh, model or frame or prescription for what we should do is just not going to work because there's nuance. There's so much nuance in how each of our communities forms and how how each of those people feels in relation to us specifically. So yeah, experimenting and just trying things out. And that, that's where the, the handle came from as well. It was me posting different things that I kind of thought of um, that then sort of started to resonate. I find this really interesting because I do quite a lot of marketing reading. I like to, you know, I like to learn the theory. I like to know what people who've gone before me have learned about what, it, you know, they've done. But some of the really interesting little like DMs that I'll have with you and you'll go, but that doesn't work for my audience. I've learned that this works for my audience. And that is a great takeaway to think, yeah, okay, so this is what clever marketing person a will say that you should do to have guaranteed success on Instagram but like wait a minute that's just not at all the way my audience wants to be spoken to what have you learned about uh, an audience that might be shy less obviously engaged uninclined to invest in themselves how does that then translate into effective marketing I'm still learning (laughs) 
<laughs> Just to put you on the spot, Elsie, if you could write the book on that one. How does it translate into effective marketing? Well, so something I'm trying to embody, I'm in the middle of a launch now as we speak, and something I'm trying to embody is gentleness. I'm starting to realise that kind of the salesy, quick action, kind of classic marketing tips that we might hear just don't resonate with the people that I'm talking to. I did a bit of an experiment. So the the thing that I'm launching now is, is my course. And this is the third time I've done a launch and it's been different each time. This time is very different in that I haven't really ever asked people to like sign up there and then from an email. Instead, it's like, just take a look at this and see if it's something you think resonates for you. See if this might be interesting. See if this might be able to help you. I've got this thing. I think it might be able to help you. Come and take a look. A kind of invitation in as opposed to a kind of direct sales pitch like, you should buy this because this is going to help you. And in terms of, I mean, I don't like to pay too much attention to numbers and clicks and all of that. But in terms of my email campaigns, the ones that ask things like, you know, just learn about it, have a look, have far more engagement than the ones that have said, sign up here or here's where you join us. And obviously, as the launch goes on and as we get close to the time and and the, the doors will close, I will get a little bit more directive. But I've been far less directive so far and it's resulted in a lot more engagement which I think is is an interesting takeaway that I probably wouldn't have predicted. I think there's going to be lots of people listening to this going, oh, okay, that might apply to my people. What I would say is don't use that as a way to let yourself off the hook. If you do need to make a direct ask from people, like now's the time, buy this thing, it's available next week or not at all. Sometimes you need to say that. Often you need to say that. But also experiment with different messages and see how they land with your people. And look, people take a long time to decide to make a big purchase. In particular, the course you're talking about is quite, you know, it's a fairly substantial investment. So people Mm. are probably going to need to feel comfortable that they've read about it, they've investigated, it's right for them. So how do you chat with them about it over the course of a few weeks or a month? By talking about it a lot, And you'll know this, I find it hard to keep showing up. And I think we all find it hard to keep showing up. But it is about doing what I can to create conversation about it. You know, just encouraging people to get in touch, encouraging people to chat with me. So there's been, I've had many more conversations in my DMs this time around about the course because I've been more... I don't know what I would describe it as. It is that gentle kind In, of... Inviting those... Inviting, things, yeah. Like giving people permission to ask certain questions. Quite often people do need to be actually told. It might seem obvious to us. So, you know, people will ask if they've got a question. But sometimes you might need to say, if you're not clear about this, or if you'd like to discuss whether this is right for you, or then DM me, ask the question, I'm here. And it needs to be. So just going back to what you said about, you know making sure that that being gentle about it is not letting ourselves off the hook. Don't get me wrong, like the the messages that say come and have a look are also combined with this is when it starts, this is what you can do to sign up, here's where the information is, this is what it's going to be like. You know, there's a lot of that as well. But people need to be told like click this button to ask a question or respond to the, reply to this story if you want to ask me as opposed to just saying I'm here for questions. I I used to avoid that kind of thing because I thought it was quite patronizing like 
click the link in my bio to sign up is like, well, obviously they know where the link is. I remember it was a real revelation for me when I read in some marketing book or something, how really direct language, like go to page seven and read this and then do that. These are the kind of like clear instructions people need. They will never just go, oh, I'll just go and Google their website and then find the sales page and then I'll find the button at the bottom of the sale. It doesn't happen. It's like, go to this link, click on that thing, you will get the thing. You're such a lovely, talented, authentic marketer. Tell us also about some mistakes you've made along the way to make us feel better. I know that you you asked me before, like, um, what are the accounts that I'm interested in or like accounts that I like? And I, I actually don't follow that many on Instagram because I fall into the trap very easily of going, oh, look what they're doing and you're not doing that. Or, you know, they've got X many sales. It looks like they've got loads of people signed up and you haven't. So the comparison thing all the way along, all the way through has been there. And it's something that I I try to navigate as best I can and is easier on some days and is harder on others. But just trying to trying to hold on to the fact that I am in my own lane. I'm doing my thing. Nobody else does it the same way as I do. And I don't do it the same way as them. And that is fine. And that's okay. And it's good enough. You're the second person in two days who's talked about their lane and staying in their lane, but it is just the thing when you can keep hold of it. I suffer from comparisonitis as well. And I think it's actually led to me spending less time in Instagram because I'm not very good at exercising those things like unfollowing or muting content. Or again, it's probably a slight people pleasing thing of, you know, the idea of unfollowing somebody would be just like harsh. So, uh, so as a result, if I'm if I'm going through a period of time where I'm feeling that stuff, then I tend to not spend as much time in the app. What uh, going back to people pleasing? How might that manifest itself on social media for people? I think it is anything really that you continue to do despite the fact that it isn't very nice for you. That's you know not not making you feel good. I've had actual direct interaction with people on Instagram, you know, other creators or therapists or whatever. And I've found myself actually not feeling that good when I'm looking at their stuff for whatever reason. And it's much more about me than it is about them. And then I'm in this predicament and I'm like, do I, like you just said, unfollow them and seem rude (laughs) to protect myself? Like, how, how do you navigate that? And I think that it's a case by case situation, really. But people don't usually really notice. <laughs> Nobody notices. No, they don't. And actually, we shouldn't, it's none, it, it really is none of our business why somebody chooses not to follow us anymore. If somebody, if it's not the right time for them, if they're not able to explore what you're offering for whatever reason, or they would like to be doing what you're doing and they can't because they're not at that point in their life where it's possible for them for whatever reason, or they just, yeah, they just find the fact that you're out there on the internet, they're not ready for it and they can't care. And if that's the reason why somebody can't follow you anymore, then, you know, we should be happy for them really. But it's it's very difficult to apply. There seems to be something very final about unfollowing, which I suppose is why they give you the mute function, but it's just a case of being disciplined enough to use it. So I guess I mute without actually muting. I just choose not to look if it's if I'm finding it difficult. And I would, you know, recommend that people do not feel guilty for that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, you know, I 
I probably also spend less time in the app than I used to um, for the for similar reasons to what you describe. And I, I, again, like going back to sort of not following all the kind of like standard marketing advice that's out there. Something I don't do very much is engage with other people on Instagram. I don't I've really stepped away from it too, Elsie. It's just that's such a time suck. And, and and you're having to look at a lot of other people's content, which makes you question what you're doing yourself. And I have just decided to come at it from a place of creation. Like, what can I put out there? And then once I've put something out there, if people are engaging with it, then it's down to me to engage back because that's the right thing to do. But so I'm coming at it from a place of what can I put out there that I'm proud of and that is helpful and that helps my business. And it's probably channeling your energy in a much better place, right? Like you're probably serving the people that are in your community better. And I think it's so easy because Instagram is such a busy place in any industry, really. It's so easy to lose sight of what your lane actually is and kind of go a bit wayward thinking, oh, I ought to be doing what that person's doing or they teach it in that way. So should I do that? And I think that's another mistake that I probably made early on was like thinking that I had to fit in with what everybody else was doing as opposed to letting this sort of organic process evolve. I am now thinking as I speak back to how I used to feel when I heard people say that, like, just do your own thing, be yourself on Instagram. And I used to sit there going, how? how? Like, what? How do I do that? And there is no one answer. That That is the, I guess, the tricky thing for all of us. However, trying to create some space to just be experimental with what you're doing so that you can work out what feels nice for you, but you can also work out what is received well by other people. It becomes a bit easier, but I, I still, I don't find Instagram easy even now. When I'm in a flow with it, it's easier. When I'm in a flow of, of like output, but if I stop or take a bit of a step back, it can be quite hard to get back in because that, that, that is when you, this, you, you start questioning yourself and asking whether you're being a fool or whatever it might be that given day, you know, being on the internet. It's hard, but waiting for somebody to give you the answers and tell you what will work with your audience. Uh, nobody can. The only way through it is through it and to start showing up, putting some stuff out there, talking to people. But don't spend time on accounts that don't make you feel good, you know, just simply aren't interested in and don't enjoy <laughs> quite often. It's the problem. Yeah, it's that. I can remember doing yeah, that, like being yeah, told from somewhere that I ought to engage with three accounts a day that are, you know, in my niche so I can start getting seen. And then I'd find myself like looking for accounts that I actually resonated with, which didn't really exist that much without some really deep searching just not having a great time of it. Like it just wasn't fun. It wasn't enjoyable. And I think finding a way to enjoy being there, enjoy being on the platform is really useful. You know, I like to go on there and just like see what Fern Cotton's been up to some days. And that's enough. I love her. She's great. She's she good at Instagram, great. isn't she's she? Really she's really good at really social good media. <laughs> yeah, she's got a lovely business flourishing as yes, well. Yes, she has. Yeah, 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 I, yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I think, I, another mistake, I'll just add another one in there if it's helpful, is paying so I, I didn't really get too much into the trap of worrying about like followers leaving and follower numbers, but I do, I've only just really detached myself from email unsubscribes. Those they ones. hurt. Everybody's human. If I get a bit of a flurry of them, because when I'm sending a lot of emails out around courses, then, you know, you get the unsubscribes because if you're not sending emails, people don't unsubscribe, but you're also not sending emails. So, not, so nothing good is happening. But yeah, it can hurt. It can hurt a little bit, but I... I don't find them more hurtful than a than an unfollow. Oh, I do. I don't know why. I think maybe it's because I feel like emails are a bit more personal. I think I put a bit more of myself into my emails, and um, 
Yeah, like that, that, just that thing of like trying, what helps me is trying to remember that I am not what I've created. What I'm putting out there is not me. It's part of me. It's, it's like it is because it's from me, but it's not completely who I am. So somebody unsubscribing from my email or, you know, leaving my, my community on Instagram, that's not a direct reflection of me and who I am and, as a person. And that, that's only a recent thing that I've, I've kind of managed to, to grasp. I had a little light bulb moment about this stuff when I was preparing for our chat. Um, and definitely like thanks to following you and uh, Susie, Susie Redding, who's also been on the podcast. People who get me thinking differently about what I'm doing and when I can say no and putting boundaries up. Um, it's actually also made it easier for me to hear no from other people. And, uh, you know, I invite lots of people onto the podcast and, you know, I try not to be timid in who I'm inviting. I invite people who, you know, have got great books out and big followings and you know you just go for it you never know who's going to say yes but quite often people say no and I think there would have been a time where I would have been a little bit crushed by no's and I would have taken it to have been a reflection on me like I'm crap my podcast is crap but actually once you start using those boundaries you, you don't then mind them when other people put them up because they've got good reasons for not wanting to do something and it's got nothing to do with you it's so I was like wow that's a really cool aspect of stopping people pleasing behavior absolutely and I think what you've highlighted there is this the the fact that this sort of rejection things fits into the people pleasing pattern hugely both fearing rejection from others like you're describing and not wanting to cause it to others so not wanting to reject or be rejected and when we start to get a bit more okay with one side of that the other side also gets easier doesn't it and and you can know that actually somebody saying no to you your podcast invitation is literally nothing to do with you. <laughs> but while we're worrying about rejection, and quite often I think this is something that is true for my clients as well, while we're worrying about rejection, worrying about people not liking our posts or not following us or not being interested in our products, it stops us from moving forward and finding the people who are interested because you just go, you, you enter a state of paralysis where you're not doing anything because you're worried about the no's. Absolutely. And, and if the, the thing, other thing that I try to teach people or to encourage people to, to see is that rejection is okay. Like it is all right. And it, there are totally often... survivable. Like <laughs> it utter, is. Utterly survivable. And you know, know. In, the, in the world of therapy and as a therapist on Instagram, I, I feel like it's very important to, to flag also that, you know, this stuff is often very deep rooted for people and needs some time and some validation, you know, so it's not to kind of shame ourselves out of feeling rejected but to just kind of gently uh, encourage ourselves, take ourselves by the hand and just say, actually, is this so bad? Like, may maybe it's okay. It reminds me of the idea of just bloody posting it. <laughs> uh, it all comes back to that. I think you'll find, Elsie. Oh, Elsie, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you. We'll continue the conversation another time, I think, if you'll come oh, back. I'd love to. I will, always. I love chatting. Thank you so much for having me. Lots of love, Elsie. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Helen. I really enjoyed that chat. Thank you for listening right the way through. Elsie's out there doing the work. It's time consuming and requires constant thought and adjustment. But what's worked for her can work for all of us. Allow your audience to guide you, to show you what of the things you can offer they are most interested in. And also, once you've had a look at the marketing rulebook, 
maybe put it back on the shelf and think about the bits you don't have to do that don't work for you or your people. There is nothing that we have to or should or must do. Fabulous. Subscribe so that you don't miss the next episode and share with your friends who might like it too. Shares are the highest compliment you can pay on social media. They're really appreciated. Thank you. And I'll see you next time. Bye.